It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 830, and I'm Paul Boger, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new settlement agreement is in place in a long-running child welfare case. But what does it mean for the state's foster care system? Well, the most basic thing that they have to do is they have to lower their caseloads. Uh, the caseloads have to be lowered to professional standards. Well, we've made enormous progress, but we don't have any choice. We have to continue to make progress, and we have to continue to improve. And after StoryCorps, find out what to do with that fridge full of holiday leftovers. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There's a new settlement in place in a long-running Mississippi child welfare lawsuit. The case is named after Olivia Y. That's a fictitious name for a little girl whose plight was all too real. Marcia Robinson-Lowry is an attorney and executive director of the group A Better Childhood. As Lowry starts to outline the new settlement, she talks about her original client, Olivia Y. Olivia Y. was um, a a little girl at the time, and she was um, in a, a shelter. And she uh, was dropped, basically, because the shelter staff had too many kids to take care of. And um, she was not paid attention to. She had pretty much stopped crying, which everybody knows is a a very, very bad sign with a child. Uh, She didn't expect to be picked up. And uh, she was very malnourished, um, but... Uh, The description of her was that she was slim, uh, (laughs) which I don't don't think you can call a baby slim. So um, she was in very bad shape. She represented uh, hundreds of other kids in the child welfare system at the time. There was a settlement in the case. Tell us about what you think about that settlement. There were two settlements in the case, one which goes into effect at the beginning of 2018, and then there is a remedial order, which is in effect during 2017. Basically, 
the agency needs to build itself from scratch. I, I can't even say rebuild itself um, because it's it's not at that point. But it really needs to have um, basic functions created so that it can take care of the children who come into care. So the um, every aspect of the system is being re-examined um, and redesigned. So there's a leadership team that is, in fact, uh, looks good, and um, there's a lot of good talk about what they want to do. I believe they intend to do it, whether they are going to get the money to do it um, and whether they're going to be able to do it remains to be seen. What do these settlements do to actually help children? What the settlement did um, was, first of all, give the um, state a year time out, and they've actually had about a year and a half time out, um, because you can't expect an agency that as is functioning as poorly as it is to immediately begin to start taking better care of children. It really needs to build up its systems, and they have been doing that. And so there are good signs, not enough um, yet, but there are good signs, and we're prepared to give it a chance. Um, And they say that they are committed to getting things done. I believe that they're committed. Uh, I don't know whether they can get the things done that need to be done, but we're going to give them a chance. It sounds like to me that you're optimistic and that you are at least somewhat pleased at the action the state of Mississippi has taken, especially just recently, to improve the the foster care system in in the state with the creation of the separate agency and funding that separate agency. What else, in your mind, still needs to be done? What's the hardest part for them now? Well, the most basic thing that they have to do is they have to lower their caseloads. The caseloads have to be lowered to professional standards, and if that goes according to plan, that will happen by the end of uh, 2017. The caseloads are coming down, uh, but they're not coming down. uh, they, They can't come down too quickly because workers have to be trained um, and there has to be office space and things like that. Um, so, But the most important thing is that the caseloads come down. And then simultaneously, they have to also um, have more homes for the children. There aren't enough homes for the children. And we don't even know where a lot of the children are. So that that really has to be done, and that's what they're going to be working on over the next year, to say nothing of the fact that they've got to get organizational structures in place so that um, they know where the kids are um, and they know they're in good places. Some of the homes that the children have been in um, are really uh, below As you any watch a presidential trend. Our news will be here. And, and that's really got to change. What is your wish for the final outcome in this case? Well, I wish that um, Mississippi would actually have a good foster care system, a good child welfare system, and take good care of its kids. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, that's what we're going to see one way or another, either through the state doing it Uh, because they're working at it or because the federal court is going to take it over. But I hope it's going to be the former, not the latter. 
Attorney Marsha Robinson-Lowry with MPB's Mark Rigsby. David Chandler is Commissioner of Mississippi's new Department of Child Protection Services. The former state Supreme Court Justice sits down with our Mark Rigsby to offer his thoughts on the new agreement. So it sounds like this is a legal agreement to give the state time for a restart, kind of a, like a do-over. Well, that that's correct, and and it is kind of a do-over. But more importantly, I'll tell you, it, it's it's like a, a huge Christmas gift to the state of Mississippi, to the taxpayers, because it's going to save us, I estimate, in the neighborhood of about a million dollars a year in legal fees and other fees that would go to people that uh, that provide no additional services to the children we're responsible for and to the children who look to us to keep them safe. I'd like to go back in time just to kind of give our listeners why we're at this point. About 12 years ago, the Olivia Y lawsuit was brought forth that basically exposed some bad things that were happening in the foster care system in the state. Wanted to get your impression of where things stood at that time compared to where things stand now. If you look at the allegations that are in the complaint, uh, Mississippi was not doing an adequate job of keeping the children safe who were placed in their custody. And, and I think every citizen of our state wants one thing more than anything else, and that is that all of our children are given an opportunity, a good, safe home, and uh, food to eat and clothes to wear, and given every opportunity to meet their potential. Evidently, if, if you read the complaint, Mississippi was not doing that back when the lawsuit was filed years ago. The case has always been referred to as the Olivia Y lawsuit. And of course, as you know, the story that was the young girl who was abandoned, malnourished, neglected, who is the case that kind of exposed the system. Can you tell us how she's doing now? Do you know, do you know anything about her? How is she doing? Is she doing well? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to report, of course, Olivia Y is a fictitious name, but the child for whom Olivia Y was, was uh, named, I'm pleased to report that she is okay. Of course, she's no longer in the system. She's aged out. All of the children who are, who were involved in the original litigation have now aged out, and they are all, to my knowledge, doing okay. And, you know, that's that's the goal of our agency. What I tell our employees every day is I do not want any child suffering, any child being injured because of our negligence. If we can establish a level of functioning where our children are kept safe, and if we can prove to the courts that we can sustain it, then I think we can end this litigation. Wanted to get into to, to some of the, the, the issues about what needs to improve within the agency. Where are we right now with reducing those caseloads? As you know, if a young social worker has 30 children for whom she's responsible, she cannot do nearly the same kind of job that she can do if she has only seven or eight. And so it's all driven by caseloads, although it's not quite that simple. One of the other concerns by the plaintiffs is finding enough foster parents that are qualified and homes that are suitable for these children. Where do we stand with that? Well, we're improving in that area, and one reason we're improving so drastically in that area is because of the 
wonderful work that Justice Dawn Beam is doing for us. Uh, she has Rescue 100, a project whereby she uh, advertises and uh, lets people know in certain geographical areas the need for foster parents. She then brings all of the clergy in that uh, area together, and they help her recruit foster parents. And then the training is expedited so that with Justice Beam's help, we're doing uh, very, very well as far as reaching the number of foster homes that we need and getting them licensed. But, of course, there's always a need for good, dedicated, capable foster parents. From where you sit as the director of this new agency, what are your thoughts on progress and the progress made to protect children? Well, we've made enormous progress, but we don't have any choice. We have to continue to make progress, and we have to continue to improve. If we don't, these precious dear children suffer. Many of them die. So, you know, the state of Mississippi, our citizens, do not want that, will not stand for that. Our legislature realizes the enormous responsibility we have. They're on board with us. Governor Bryant has given us his assurance, and I have watched him uh, demonstrate this. Governor Bryant and the First Lady are giving 100% effort toward making sure that our children are safe. As a matter of fact, the First Lady is Justice Beam's right-hand, I don't guess I should say man, but lady in these efforts to bring more foster parents to serve these children. Child Protection Services Commissioner David Chandler with MPB's Mark Rigsby. So do you think you're the only one with a fridge full of holiday leftovers? Well, you're not alone. Deep South Dining's Deborah Hunter shares what she's doing with her fridge full of food. That's coming up in just a few minutes after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, the new host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. From exercise and diet to wellness and stress relief, this is the show for you. Email your questions, comments, and show ideas to healthy at mpbonline.org. And listen for me, Dr. Josie Bidwell, on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, Mondays at 11 on MPB Think Radio. As you consider where the country should go next, NPR will be here with the facts to help you make sense of new appointments, policy changes, and all of the day's news. So listen every day. When Tony Powell visited the StoryCorps mobile studio in Mississippi, he shared a tale of garbage piling up in one of the South's big cities, He told of poor workplace conditions, even the deaths of some garbage collectors, and he told a story of his father's involvement as a union leader in the sanitation workers' strike in 1968 and the events that brought Martin Luther King Jr. on his fateful visit to Memphis. He was on the front lines of the sanitation strike trying to get the sanitation workers a dime an hour raise. That's it? A dime an hour. And safety switches on the back 
of the garbage trucks. What had happened a month prior to, two city sanitation employees were crushed to death while picking up garbage because the cab operator had operated the crushing mechanism on the back of the truck and the two people on the back of the truck still had cans in the in the back of the truck and they reached in to try to get the cans out and it grabbed both of them and crushed them to death. So that's what started the sanitation strike in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a dime an hour and safety switches. Well, the city didn't want to pay for it and they didn't want to give them a dime an hour raise. So they said no. Thus started the sanitation strike in Memphis. It was very bitter. At that point... My father had progressed within the labor movement. He was not only the business agent and secretary treasurer of his own local, he was also the president of the Memphis AFL-CIO Labor Council and the vice president of the Tennessee AFL-CIO Labor Council at that time. That was really the start of the sanitation strike, and it was very bitter, and it went on and on. Dr. King saw the sanitation strike as another mechanism for his Southern Leadership Council to progress the rights of black workers in the South. The only problem with that was was financing. There was very little money available. Dr. King at the time needed money to help finance so much of what he was doing. So, so many of these rallies and so many of the speeches, these were also fundraising events at the same time for the Southern Leadership Council. The strike in Memphis had gone on over five weeks. Garbage was piling up in the streets. There was turmoil, anguish everywhere. But also the workers, you're talking about the poorest of poor, and they were now getting hungry. There was a strike fund that was paying them a monochrome amount of money per week, but the strike fund now was empty. It was really over. Over 20% of the workers had, had, had started crossing the picket lines, going back to work. And it was almost over. Dr. King had been to Memphis twice. The end was very near as, as far as the sanitation strike. It, it was going to be a bust. There was not going to be any settlement. There was not going to be any, any raise for the workers or any safety switches on the garbage trucks. It was pretty much over. Five black leaders came to Dad, and they were... Four of them were pastors. One of them was a, another uh, Southern Leadership Council member. Came to my dad and asked them, could the International raise the funds to get Dr. King to come back to Memphis? He said he would try. So he got in contact with the International and raised the funds to be able to get Dr. King to come back to Memphis to try to save some face for what was happening. Because the strike was really almost over. Dr. King gave the speech. Two days later, he was assassinated. My dad, for the rest of his life, always felt he was the man who brought Dr. King to Memphis and had him killed. Had he not raised the funds, Dr. King would not have come back to Memphis. So he felt responsible. Absolutely. 100%. It's a big burden to carry. Never shared it, except with me. 
To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I'm Kara Miller. Every week on Innovation Hub, I talk with the thinkers, researchers, and visionaries who are crafting our future. Tune in to hear conversations about how tribalism shapes us, what new research on obesity reveals, how chicken changed America, and why math class should be reinvented. Coming Sunday, January 8th at noon, hear Innovation Hub on MPB Think Radio. The end of the year is the perfect time to get rid of that old car that's been taking up space in your driveway or garage. Why not let someone else sell that car for you while you simultaneously contribute to MPB? Donations received by 12 a.m. local time on January 1st count for the 2016 tax year. Wrap up your year in the spirit of holiday giving and receive a tax deduction for your vehicle donation to MPB. To donate or learn more, go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Paul Boger. Christmas gatherings are over, New Year's parties are coming up, and you have to make some room in the, in the refrigerator. But what to do about all those holiday leftovers? Well, Deborah Hunter from MPB's Deep South Dining has you covered. She says it's all about getting a little creative. Deborah says one of her usual leftovers is a, is a little holiday ham, as she explains to our Karen Brown. So with um, the ham being left over for the holidays, there's so many amazing things that you can do. And one of those things that I like to do is create a potato soup uh, and using the ham for my meat base. And so once I've got my potatoes cooked down really nice, I've added a little onions into those potatoes and some green onions uh, and some bell peppers. I will use the ham that's left over and add it in the potato soup. And it makes a wonderful treat. And once it's done, add a little bit of cheese on top. A few crackers, and the family loves that. The other thing is a great way to make sandwiches. I was also going to ask with the soup, if you have a bone-in ham, do you start the soup with the bone to get the to you get can. the ham broth? Actually, Karen, that's a great point. You actually can use the ham bone. Once you get your water started, drop the bone in and just let it simmer. Because you got to remember, you've cooked this ham already. It's got all these flavors, but the bone marrow itself produces a wonderful, wonderful flavor that's added in your broth. You don't have to take it out. Uh, it's not going to uh, deteriorate uh, into the uh, soup itself. So just go ahead and leave the bone in during the whole process. So even though you've started it off as your broth with a little bit of salt and pepper in the bone, add your potatoes, your celery, your bell peppers, your onions, whatever else you're going to add into your potato soup. And then at the very end, Karen, once it's creamed up and those potatoes are nice and soft, go ahead and add those chunks of ham that you've cut up. In. Now you were starting to say sandwiches. Oh, yes. This is a time to pull out that hoagie bread and toast it up and uh, literally add a little bit of cheese and ham. I mean, you know, what's not to love about a traditional uh, ham sandwich? All right. And then a lot of people, you know, it's like the war between hams and turkeys on oh Christmas, I think. So you have a big old half a bird left. What do you do with the turkey? Great way to start a casserole. Uh, you're taking uh, some egg noodles 
And you can take your turkey, and again, I'm, I love green onions. You want to add a little bit of that in. And you could even take a little bit of cream of mushroom soup, and then you want to top it off with some breadcrumbs and a little bit of cheese and bake it in the oven, and it's a wonderful casserole. Can you do something with sides? I mean, if, if you have green beans and sweet potatoes and stuffing and all you know, little bits of this and that, is there a way to combine all of them, or are there flavors that will conflict with one well, another? For instance, we're talking about making soup. So if I've got green beans uh, left over and I've got, uh, let's say, some roasted potatoes perhaps left over, uh, some of those vegetables will work well uh, creating a soup. Some of them you can even add into your casseroles. There's no need to throw anything out. Well, Happy New Year and thank you so much, Deborah Hunter. Thank you for having me. Deborah Hunter is the host of Deep South Dining here on MPB Think Radio. You can listen Mondays at 9 or find it in your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, in legal terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store or by searching in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Paul Boger. Join us again tomorrow at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering online master's degrees in elementary education, higher education, and early childhood education. Your master's degree can be earned online in as little as one to two years. More information at education.olemiss.edu. It's Marketplace Tech for Tuesday the 27th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. HBO's show Westworld, loosely based on the 1973 sci-fi film, follows a winding story of an adult theme park populated by humanoid cowboy robots run by a shadowy corporation and full of big questions about consciousness and artificial intelligence that is starting to become self-aware. Have you ever questioned the nature of your... 